You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Master's University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning, Women Hope listeners. I'm so thankful that you've joined us today. Back in September, Kim and I had a wonderful opportunity to speak at a women's conference at the Masters University on the topic of the dangers of a self-focus. This opportunity was very special, and we were given a unique opportunity to make it available to all of you, our listening audience. So without further ado, for today's podcast, you'll be listening to my presentation on the bondage of selfishness. And then next podcast, Kim will address the freedom from selfishness. Kim and I pray that these two lectures will bring much edification to your heart as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, what a, what a great opportunity for all of us to be together like this um, women's conference. I think Bree has been wanting to do this for a long time, probably as well as the other RDs. And so we're just very, very thankful that Kim and I can be part of this. She's, she's definitely my, my good friend, my comrade. Um, I'm wearing a, a, a scarf today in her honor because her nickname is Birdie. Um, but we just have so much fun together, and we feel really blessed. I think this is the first time we've taught together at a thing, right? The second time. Okay, trying to remember my, my mind. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for that. And I'd like to just, I'm going to kind of open us up. Um, I think I'll open up in prayer, and then we'll kind of get into it. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, just for this opportunity that you've given um, all of us to be together this morning through the afternoon to really just look into your word, um, to see what you have to say to our hearts. Lord God, um, we know that the world majors um, on selfishness or self-ism attitudes, and Lord God, you call us to be humble. And so I pray that as the word goes out, you promise that it never returns void, that it'll touch hearts, um, that you will be able to just work through those hearts, and that we, at the end um, of this day, will just desire more than anything to glorify you even more than we want to breathe. But we love you, and we just want to give this time up to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Well, um, so starting out, you know, I, I was thinking about as I was putting together this talk, I was thinking about two conversations that really vie for our attention, okay, as just humans, really. And the first conversation that constantly vies for our attention is influenced by the world. And what the culture is doing, filtered through what we see, you know, on social media, often claiming that you and I are the center of the universe, right? That's kind of their aim. Too often, we turn away from God and we turn inward upon self, and we believe that we can become our own authorities and that we can create our own identities based on how we feel and believe the truth to be. Too often, there is a misplaced love which seeks self above God, believing that we do not need God for our greatest good, and this conversation 
constantly competes for our heart. And too often it says, you are enough. You just need to be you, right? The second conversation for those that are in Christ reminds us that we were made for so much more than what the world has to offer. In fact, as believers, it insists to our own soul that our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is God, that he is before all things, that he is the center of the universe, that he is the preeminent one, and that all things, including us, were created through him and for him. That conversation reminds us that it's not about me. It's not about my own personal truth. It's about him, and it's about his objective truth. Sadly, though, we desire the second conversation to be louder and have more of an influence in our lives, obviously. But there are days when we as believers suppress that important more important godly conversation going on in our mind, mostly because we just allow the first conversation to have more influence. We allow the world to dictate or have influence on our lives more than it should. Everything from Instagram that we scroll through to the movies that we watch to the clothing ads that declare that we can be or need to be awesome, right, in the world's eyes, that really is the message that influences us to place self on the throne of our hearts. But ladies, can I tell you, it's a lie. It's a lie that stems all the way back to the garden when the serpent deceived Eve and she was deceived by him and she doubted God. She doubted God. Instead of submitting to God in his way, she gave into the lust of her eyes, the lust of her flesh, and of course, the boastful pride of life because she thought that she knew better. And so consequently, she ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then she gave some to her husband to eat. You see, the great deception of the first conversation conversation may promise the greatest happiness, but I'm here to tell you it brings the greatest bondage. It really does. Because at the end of the day, the first conversation is set on the flesh, and it's a lie. It can never completely satisfy It can only disappoint, and it often becomes a joy thief. Do you notice that? Joy thief. The second conversation, however, is shaped by God's objective truth, and it promises life eternal and full satisfaction in Christ alone, helping us to understand that he is the only one, the only one that satisfies the longing of the soul. In fact, Scripture reminds us that he, in his presence, is fullness of joy. It may take time and intentionality to walk in a manner worthy of your calling as a believer. And in doing so, it may even go against every cultural grain in your body as you strive for holiness while abiding in Christ. But as you do, it places the right person on the throne of your hearts. And who is that? Christ, right? Christ alone. The first conversation is curved upon self. That's how the the Puritans put it. It's curved upon self. It says that you're the king of your own heart, right? But the second conversation brings freedom from that kind of self-focused, uh, self-focused thinking because it says you are actually to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow Christ. It reminds the believer it's not we two kings, it's one king, and you're not it. You're not it, right? 
And so as we think of that, we're challenged. And so young women of today, I, I ask you a question. What conversation is competing for your heart this morning? Right? Is it heavenly wisdom from above? Is it coming down from the father of lights who is unchanging and trustworthy? Or is it earthly wisdom that is natural and actually demonic, James says? As you examine your life and you consider the conduct of your life, do you see fruit that is in keeping with repentance, such as purity and peace and gentleness and mercy and goodness and trust and humility? Or do you see envy and selfishness in your life? Are you currently experiencing the blessing of building your house upon the rock, who is Christ, or are you experiencing the bondage of building your house upon the sand, which is the world and its lies? Scripture teaches that if you're a true believer, that you have received a new heart. Praise the Lord. You have a new spirit. You're called a new creation. So you have a new self and a new nature. So you actually do have the capacity to cooperate with God, to listen to God, to walk, you know, in newness of life and no long, longer walk as an unbeliever who, who before we were in Christ, we walked in the futility of our mind. We were darkened in our understanding. We were hard of heart and, you know, we gave ourselves over to every kind of greed and impurity, but you haven't learned Christ that way, right? If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Christ. And that, ladies, is the message in summary that James is going to teach us this morning. All right? And so we're going to turn to James 3 now. And as we get there, you know, we, we need to look at this as a way to examine our hearts. When we think of, of our hearts, what are we saying? That's the real you, your desires, your affections, um, what are you seeing in your life? Is there a love for God and his word and a love for neighbor? Or is your heart disordered this morning, only focused upon self and nothing but self? So James 3, verse 13, I want you to follow along. Our, our focus this morning actually will be on two points. We're going to talk about, firstly, the blessing of building our houses upon the rock, other not, otherwise known as heavenly wisdom. And compared to the bondage of building our house upon the sand, otherwise known as earthly wisdom. So starting in verse 13 of James 3. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good conduct, his works, in the gentleness of wisdom. But you have bitter jealousy. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not coming down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what do we know about James who wrote this letter? He is the half-brother of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's a half-brother. And you know what? Before um, Jesus ascended into heaven, James didn't even believe that Christ was the Messiah. But later, when he became a believer, he actually became a leader of the Jerusalem church. 
And he was a strong defender of the Christian faith. And in this letter, what James is doing is he's just writing to believers. They're scattered among the pagan nations. And like any faithful pastor today, James is spending a great deal of time in this letter encouraging the believer to persevere under trial, to not to be impartial, um, to guard the tongue, to be humble, and to guard against being influenced by the world or by earthly wisdom. It's a great letter to really study. Actually, I, I had a lot of fun with it. But this brings us to our first point, the blessing of building our house upon the rock. So look at verse 13 again. It says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his conduct, his works in the gentleness of wisdom. So what does James mean by wise? Well, the word in the Greek, how many Greek students do we have out here? Yes. Okay. We're going we're gonna to do some Greek this morning. Um, but the word that James is using for wise is the word sophos. And it pertains to specialized wisdom or specialized knowledge resulting in the skill for accomplishing some purpose. And so what James is essentially saying to us as believer, who among you has specialized knowledge? And in this case, specialized knowledge is referring to God's objective truth. In other words, you say you are a believer and you say you know the truth, praise the Lord. But as James pointed out earlier in chapter two, even the demons believe the truth and shudder. So if you truly possess wisdom, this specialized knowledge then should show me by the conduct of your life, by the works that you were saved into. For scripture teaches that those who are truly wise not only hear the word, not only understand the word, but they also apply the word to their own life. And the result is peaceful fruits of righteousness. But to be truly wise in the way James is talking, one must be born again. Meaning that um, you have died to self, you have turned from your old life, you've turned towards Christ and you've placed your faith in his death and his burial and resurrection, confessing Jesus as Lord of your life. True believers also continue to learn about Christ as you think about your life, who he is, what he requires from his word. That's wisdom from above. It is steadfast and it follows Christ according to his word and doing as he taught and lived by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom from above is faith in action. Okay. Believers recognize it in their life. They no longer live for self, but for Christ alone. And they are committed to following him, not only in their doctrine, what we know intellectually, right? What we know theologically, but also in their life, how you walk, how you act, what you say. It's out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? Yeah. Galatians 2.20, one of my most favorite passages, I think. I've just grown to love it over the years. But Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but God, but Christ who lives in me. And the, new, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In that passage, there is a denying of self or a turning away from self and a turning from self to a living by faith in the Son of God. That, ladies, is the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of wisdom. 
But what about understanding? What about understanding? James couples wisdom and understanding together because what he has in view is the truth and the application of the truth, right? For example, if you were to look in James 4, 6, you would learn that God gives a greater grace. God is gracious. That is objective truth. We believe that wholeheartedly. We believe that theologically. But how might we apply that truth to our lives? And here's the answer. The truly wise acknowledges that God is gracious, but they also understand in light of that truth that they must respond by humbling themselves, right? In obedience to that truth. And we see that in James 4 verse 10 when he says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So to be wise and understanding, one must know the good from above, the wisdom from above, but one must also know how to do the good, how to walk the truth, how to apply it to their life. In other words, who among you understands his word and how to apply it to your life? James answers his rhetorical question for us in the second half of verse 13. He says, well, let him show by the conduct um, in his, uh, let him show by his good conduct, his works in the gentleness of wisdom. According to James, wisdom, from a, wisdom that comes from above concerns itself with the conduct of one's life, meaning that the word of God is powerful enough to save sinners. And if that is true, and it is, then wisdom from above also gives birth to deeds and a way of life that grows in understanding. Maybe a simpler way to say it is, if you are truly saved, then your life is going to give it away. We're going to know. We're going to know by the conduct of your life. This is not an isolated message. We see it uh, taught by other people in the Bible, and I think particularly of the Apostle Paul, who says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's speaking from the positional, Paul is, who you are in Christ to the practical, which means um, we obey in light of the truths that we know. Right? We, we know who the Lord is. We know that what he saved us from, and now we walk in light of the truths that we know and the Lord that we love. This great salvation that's been bestowed upon all of us um, is, is such a, a blessing. It's such a great mercy um, and such a great love that we don't deserve. And that ought to motivate us, I think, to walk like the new creature in Christ that we are professing to be. We're no longer dead in our trespasses, right? We're no longer, um, you know, dead in our sins. But now because of God's great mercy, we are alive in Christ. All believers are called by God to live in a way that is different from the world's way which can only be possible because of their new relationship with Christ. Just look at James 3, verse 17. Look at the fruit that he lists. These are virtues. James is saying that this is what should manifest from a believer that is listening to the wisdom from above, or it's an indication of saving faith. There's purity and peace and gentleness and reasonableness and mercy and good fruits. And there's unwavering, you know, not doubting. And living a life without hypocrisy. Doesn't that remind you of the fruit of the Spirit? It does, right? That's what he's getting at. Heavenly wisdom or wisdom from above is talking about your lifestyle. 
your lifestyle or your conduct. It's an outworking of life that's been changed by God on the inside. Um, when you, as an unbeliever turns their life to Christ and places their faith in his finished work, they are ushered, if you will, into the sphere of wisdom, heavenly wisdom, which is from God, and it's given to all who come into relationship with him. But true wisdom is always tied to believing and to doing. All right? Honestly, you know, I just think James is reemphasizing what his brother, our Savior, is saying. Um, you, when you read through the book of James, it just makes you think of the Sermon on the Mount, actually. And this made me think of Matthew 7, 24, uh, when Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know, James is saying the same thing. A truly converted or born-again believer not only believes the word of God, but he does the word of God. Jesus says that is the person who is wise. He equates wisdom with saving, working faith. Or we could say faith in action. So who is truly wise and understanding? Well, it is the believer who proves it by their lifestyle with an attitude of humility. That's what he's getting at. Now, as we go back to James 3, we also learn in verses 14 to 16, but transition statement, right? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. And so lie against the truth. The wis that wisdom is not coming down from above, but that is earthly. That is natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil practice. And that transitions us into the second point, which is building our house, or the bondage of building our house upon the sand, okay? Building our house upon the sand. Each day when we wake up, we're always faced with two important decisions. Will I choose to deny self, to pick up my cross, and to follow him, or will I choose to give into my wants, my needs, my desires, and choose to please self. And my biblical counseling ma majors know this adage. There are only two options on the shelf. What is it, ladies? Pleasing God or pleasing self? That's right. And that decision to please self, it may seem easy at first, right? When we give in to our emotion, but over time it gets harder and harder. And Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end only leads to death. In verses 14 to 16 of James 3, he is counseling the original audience in the exact same way and by extension to all of our hearts as well. He is concerned that if the believer does not guard their heart with all diligence, they will succumb to the wrong kind of wisdom and be influenced by the wrong kind of conversation. The conversation that he's concerned about is not true wisdom, but it's false wisdom because it has no relationship to God nor does it reflect obedience to God or the embracing of God's truth. Rather, this wisdom is set on the flesh, and it is self-centered and oriented towards personal gain. It is also hostile to God, and it does not subject itself towards the law of God. And because the mindset is set on the flesh, it can never possibly please God, right? 
as you consider the context of the letter, um, one thing that's kind of interesting is it seems like some of the believers in this church were, were doing things like taking up teaching roles. They kind of self-appointed themselves as teachers um, and then boasting about all the knowledge that they had. Or some of the people there seemingly were struggling with the tongue, you know, saying hurtful things. James even says in verse 9 of chapter 3, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So there's definitely double-mindedness going on here, right? Going on in the church. But G uh, James says in chapter 3, verse 10, that a true disciple of Christ should not be cursing and blessing. You know, that shouldn't be coming out of their mouth, what they're communicating to one another. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. And so in that vein, James introduces the reader to two attitudes that are keeping in keeping with false or earthly wisdom that often have such a tight grip on our hearts. And it's a behavior, actually, they're behaviors that are in keeping with your old man before Christ. Um, the first attitude is bitter jealousy. So let's think about Greek again, the Greek word behind that. The Greek word is zelos, and generally speaking, it just has the idea of a desire to possess another person's gifts, possessions, positions, or maybe achievements. However, James has attached this interesting adjective. He calls it bitter, bitter jealousy. So the jealousy that he has in mind is an attitude that is harsh, self-centered, and resentful towards other people. He elaborates on this attitude a little bit more in James 4. Look there for a second. I'll just read verses, a couple verses there. This is kind of an elaboration, but he says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that are waging war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so we see this type of jealousy um, displayed here and in many other places in scripture. I mean, all scripture is profitable, right? And we get biblical examples of um, others in scripture that help us to see what this looks like flushed out. And I thought of an example. I was thinking of Rachel, okay, in Genesis 30 verse 1. You know, when Jacob um, got married, he married her sister Leah first, and Leah bore him all kinds of children, and um, Rachel didn't have any for the longest time. And in Genesis 31, out of envy, out of a heart of, of jealousy or envy, she demands from her husband Jacob, give me children or else I die. Isn't that dramatic? I mean, that's crazy, you know? And so that's the kind of heart. It's very dramatic. She is jealous of what she doesn't have. And that, that bitter jealousy, if you struggle with it, it feels like a burning, I guess, just a burning in the soul. And it's reflective of false wisdom because its focus is on the world. Often people with bitter jealousy are very protective of their reputation or their accomplishments, their territory, their life, and anyone who tries to mess with their world becomes an immediate arch enemy. Isn't that what we see in our world today? Isn't that how cancel culture began? Yeah. When we don't agree with the world and its message, we're an immediate enemy. We're a hater. We're intolerant. We're an, uh, an oppressor. 
Now, the second heart attitude that's connected to earthly wisdom is just selfishness or selfish ambition. It's another self-ism attitude. It carries with it the idea of rivalry and personal ambition. To define it simply, James is just trying to help us to understand that selfish ambition is not wisdom from above because it is completely consumed with self. It will do whatever it takes to be happy, even if that means sinning to do it. There is no humility in a person like this or any indication that they are a true disciple of Christ. Rather, they are very proud in their heart and they believe that all things should be from them and through them and to them or for them. This attitude manifests false wisdom, which is of the world. It's not of God. And so James admonishes the believer in verse 14 by saying, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition or selfishness in your heart, you need to stop being proud because when you do that, you lie against the truth. It's a heavy exhortation, ladies. In other words, you're claiming to be a believer, and yet you show by the character of your life that you're curved upon self. You're loveless. You're self-centered. So if that's where you lean, stop claiming to have the wisdom from above. Stop it, because your life is telling me otherwise. That, that's, that's like, you know, major, right? In fact, by boasting that you have it is actually lying against God's truth. So please stop claiming that you have what you don't have, right? Another way to think about this is a person could be claiming to be a believer or have wisdom from God, and yet they are motivated by their own selfish ambition, their own selfish desires, their own life agenda. And when a person's heart is motivated like this as a pattern of life, it doesn't possess godly wisdom. So if that's you, the message that James is trying to get across is stop living the lie. Stop. Examine your life. What is motivating you these days? What do you see? Do you see a striving for humility in your life or do you see selfishness? And if it's selfishness, you know, at the end of the day, that's just the sin of unbelief. We would say pride as well, but I think it's just the sin of unbelief because it's characteristic of a high view of self and a low view of God. You want to be the king of your own heart. And even though you want to be the king of your own heart, you know what? It doesn't make it any less true that Jesus is the king. He just is. He's the savior, not you. James goes on to say in verse 15 that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. In other words, it's reflective of the old man, which is who we were before Christ, who was in bondage to their sin and rooted in the old way of thinking wrong desires, like bitter jealousy and selfishness, and it's just reflective of a fool who trusts in self. As such, these attitudes of bitter jealousy and selfishness is also connected to none other than Satan himself. And when we allow ourselves to be influenced and driven by this kind of false wisdom, we are actually allowing Satan to slip into the driver's seat of our heart, so to speak. I'm not saying that Satan can inhabit the believer. That's, that's not theologically co correct. But you know what he can do? He can disguise himself as wisdom. Right? So believer, dear daughters in Christ, because I do consider you that, the only way to fight earthly wisdom in your life is to subject yourself to God and his sufficient word. Asking God to help you see the old man that is still evident in you. I guess we could say old woman, but you know what I mean. That's a good starting point. If you struggle with 
bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I just want to encourage you as James, James is encouraging us and that church in this letter to draw near to God and repent. To repent um, means to acknowledge the sin and then to turn towards God in humility, seeking to forsake the sin of bitter jealousy and selfishness in this case. And instead, with the enablement of the Holy Spirit to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. The characterization of bitter jealousy and selfishness being demonic is important because James connects um, so well, um, it just kind of connects so well to what he's saying in verse 16 when he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. What he's doing there is he's just pointing out the consequences when we engage in earthly and demonic attitudes. We experience disorder in our lives, right? We do in every evil practice. Disorder in the Greek simply means rebellion, confusion, strife, arrogance, disturbances. So if you're walking in bitter jealousy and selfishness right now, my educated guess is your relationship with the Lord and other people is in trouble. And you know it. You know it. For example, bitter jealousy and selfishness leads to boasting, leads to quarreling, leads to discontentment. It leads to criticism of other people, especially of those that you consider a rival because they're coming alongside you right now and they're trying to point these things out and you don't like it. You don't like it. Bitter jealousy and selfishness can even be the root of rejoicing rather than the grieving at the sorrows of others. Truly, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition keep us, hinders us from loving God with our whole heart, mind, and soul and loving our neighbor as ourself. So if that is you this morning, you should feel restless in your soul. You should. Um, that is really the bondage, I think, of selfishness for the believer. For when a life is lived for self, it leads to so much confusion and just more sin. It's a very vicious cycle. And it's also important to note that the Bible never praises selfishness, right? Rather, we are called to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel by having the mind of Christ and doing nothing from selfishness or vain glory, but with humility, count Christ and others more important than self. That's the Christian life. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that there is true wisdom that comes from above. It is from heaven because it's from God and it manifests as blessed fruit in a believer's life for his glory. James says this true wisdom and understanding is identified by the quality of one's life, one that is born again and truly oriented towards God. Verse 17 then explains to the believer that true wisdom produces results in the believer's life. In other words, there ought to be fruit in your life in keeping with repentance. But it's not just about external deeds. Rather, James is referring to the internal change that takes place in every heart that has been sanctified by God alone. He's majoring on the character of your life. For example, just all of those character qualities that you looked at a bit ago in verse 18, notice they are separate from what the world does and says. They stand in contrast to earthly wisdom. James chose those characteristics very, very carefully. Um, there are character qualities that just show the importance of the need really to strive for unity in the body of Christ. 
right? Because there's always just this needing of guarding our heart against disunity in the body of Christ. And so he's just trying to show, you know, this is the way we stay unified. We also talked about earthly wisdom, which is godlessness because it produces miserable fruit in our life, such as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And James, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making it clear to the believer that their life should reflect true wisdom with all humility and to avoid selfishness. The believer is not to be like the foolish man who hears God's word and does not do them, thereby building his house on the sand. And the consequences being to experience all kinds of turmoil in their life, like disorder and every evil thing. Rather, the believer is to be at peace with God and peace with all men, striving to shun any kind of bitter jealousy or selfishness in their life because it devours the soul. Right? It does. So let's, let's end with some important questions, and then let's, let's get into some hope-filled application. Because I'm a biblical counselor, and that's what I do, right? Got to have the application. The question is, do you live, uh, do we live, do we have to live in bondage as believers to our bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Are we able to break free out of this? And the answer is a very hope-filled yes. Amen. God and his word can help us to break the chains that bind us, actually. So to the believer, I'll speak to you first. As a born-again believer, you're rooted in Christ. That is your position. You are rooted in Christ. God in his kindness has rescued you from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of your sin, such as bitter jealousy and selfishness. God has also provided you everything you need for life and for godliness. So you need to remind yourself that God has provided you a savior who lived the perfect life that you should have lived and experienced the punishment that you deserve because of sin, such as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So ladies, there's always forgiveness in Christ, always. With that in mind, um, go before the Lord if this is where your struggle is. Confess your sin and repent before God. And I told you a little bit about what repentance is, but to elaborate on that a little, little bit more, it just means to turn back or returning. It is a grace that's required for salvation, but the Bible also teaches that repentance is a continual act. It's not just a one and done, right? And it's based on our awareness of and conviction of sin in your daily life. So it begins when you have a deep remorse over your sin. You've got to hate your sin. That's where it begins. A deep remorse over your sin. That should lead you to confession. And when you confess, it really should be specific. I tell my students all the time, we don't repent in the abstract. We, we repent in the concrete. It needs to be specific and sincere, and it, you should make a resolution before the Lord never to do it again. That's one aspect. But realize that at the end of the day, your sin of bitterness and or bitter jealousy and selfishness is against God. That's another thing. When you engage in that, you might be sinning against others, but at the end of the day, you're really sinning against God, right? So out of love for God, ladies, you need to hate your sin. Love your Savior more. The Puritans say a truly repentant person is a sin loather. 
just another way of saying hater. I just like their words better. It's kind of fun. Um, and then part of repentance is just turning from that sin that you hate. Die to self, dying to self, picking up your cross and following Christ afresh. Psalm 51, which was written by King David, um, it was just such an excellent example of a person with a truly repentant heart. And so you can take time to read through that psalm and you can compare it to your own heart. It's, it's just so helpful. And then um, part of repentance also includes just renewing your mind in the word of God. Renewing your mind, that is such a great grace that God gives us his word because it helps you to identify what your sin is and, and ungodly desires. And then it delivers you from those things in his word. Jesus says in John 15 that we are to abide or to remain in him and in his word. And when we do, we will be fruitful. To abide in Christ is to live in constant awareness of your total dependence upon him Abiding in Christ is about a relationship with Christ, with the living God. So spend your time, consume yourself with the gospel truths. You need to remind yourself of, of who you are in Christ and how to live in light of that. Think about the implications, which keeps a person humble. Why? Because it forces you to admit that you're a sinner <laughs> in need of God's mercy every day. I think meditating on Ephesians 1 to 2 is also very valuable for people because as a believer, it reminds me, it reminds you of the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ and this amazing grace that God has lavished upon us. Or Colossians 1 to 3, that talks about the fact that since the believer has been chosen, set apart, beloved and forgiven in Christ, um, they can, they have the capacity, they have the heart to walk in Christ. You can also go to key scriptures that remind you more of what it means to be in Christ. I think Romans 6 is such an important chapter for the believer because it tells you that you're no longer a slave to sin if you're in Christ, but you're a slave to righteousness. Do you know that before Christ, you didn't have the freedom to be a slave to righteousness, but in Christ you do, and you can. Um, and Colossians 3, um, reiterating this, this idea of putting to death what is earthly in you, such as bitter jealousy, selfishness, and, and that's just so important. But in as much as we need to repent of our sin, renew our mind in the word, um, we have to be balanced because you can't just be inward like that. You'll just be a worm the rest of your life. But you also have to think through stepping out in faith and reaffirming righteousness by walking in the truth. And Kim is going to talk about it later this afternoon, but a good place to start for y'all is, y'all, is uh, Philippians 2, 1 to 8. You need to remind yourself, as Kim will teach us, of your foundation of selfless living, who is Christ, and the features of his selflessness, such as humility. That is the wisdom from above that you need to walk in. And so I want you to pay close to attention to what Kim teaches you because it's really important. Now I want to talk to the unbeliever because in, this, in a room this size with this many people, there's bound to be some. Allow me just to encourage you as well. Um, if after hearing this message, you believe that you're in bondage to your selfishness, that the logical conclusion to your bitter jealousy or selfish ambition is godlessness, there's a way to freedom. There's a way to freedom. First, 
Go before the Lord and simply cry out to him. Cry out to him. You too can repent by confessing your sin of selfishness to him, or more accurately, your drive to live for self and not for God. And then you confess to God the dire need that you have for a savior, which is Christ as Lord of your life. Believe in your heart that Jesus lived a perfect life that you should have lived and died a death on a cross to cover your sin with his precious blood. Understand that he died a death that you deserve, but death didn't hold him because we know from scripture that on the third day he rose again from the grave, conquering death. And he also ascended into heaven and is currently interceding for believers today as a sympathetic high priest. The promise in scripture is when your heart truly believes in that finished work of Christ, you will no longer be a slave to your sins, such as selfishness, but instead you will have the freedom to be a slave to righteousness. As new creatures in Christ, your old man with its earthly wisdom will be crucified with Christ. It will no longer be you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you currently live in, this, in the flesh will be one lived in the Son of God who loves his people and gave himself up for us. So unbeliever, I beg you, repent. Today is the day of salvation. It really is. Repent in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Ladies, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we no longer allow the wisdom of the world to have the louder voice, right? Or the influence or the sway that it so often has in our lives. But may our delight, may the louder voice be our delight. May it be in the Lord and in his word, meditating on it day and night and manifesting fruit that's in keeping with the wisdom from above for God's glory. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.